China still the top U.S. threat, the Pentagon locking down the label for Beijing despite Russian continued aggression in Ukraine. TikTok reportedly breaking into new business ventures. Job listings hint at competition with e-shopping giants like Google and Amazon. A controversial Chinese police office closes in Ireland after a request from a ministry department. A new battleground emerges in the Arctic. Buying for stake in the region, China partners with Russia, while the U.S. teams up with Canada. And American and British pilots training the Chinese military. General David Stilwell, former Assistant Secretary of State, gives his take. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Despite the international focus on Russia's invasion of Ukraine, a new U.S. defense strategy says the country's greatest security challenge comes from elsewhere. Let's dive in. In a new defense strategy plan released on Thursday, the Biden administration says that China remains the pacing challenge to the U.S., or the nation that threatens U.S. security the most. As the president's national security strategy notes, the PRC is the only competitor out there with both the intent to reshape the international order and increasingly the power to do so. A key theme of the new plan is to strengthen U.S. deterrence to prevent Beijing's so-called dominance of key regions. That refers to Beijing's aggressive military buildup in the South China Sea and increased pressure on Taiwan. China is also working to undermine American alliances in the Indo-Pacific. Its growing military presence there serves to coerce and threaten neighbors. Given the ongoing Russian war in Ukraine, the national defense strategy labels Russia an acute threat. And we chose the word acute carefully. Unlike China, Russia can't systemically challenge the United States over the long term. A U.S. defense official says that for the first time, Washington faces two possible nuclear threats at once, China and Russia. Together, the threat from Beijing as well as Moscow will determine how the U.S. military is shaped in the decades to come. U.S. giants vying for a piece of the e-commerce market might get a new rival, TikTok. Recent job listings from the company hint at future plans. Popular short video platform TikTok appears to be expanding into the American e-commerce market. The company posted multiple job listings in recent weeks, and it's looking for people that can handle free returns, move inventories, and build a global warehousing network. That's according to a report by Axios. TikTok is one of the most popular apps in the U.S., with 80 million monthly users, most of them teens and young adults. But the social media giant has also been in a hot seat over its data handling. TikTok's parent company ByteDance is based in China. And under Chinese law, companies have to hand over user data to the communist regime if officials ask for it. A commissioner was the Federal Communications Commission, or FCC, has been warning that TikTok poses national security concerns. Brendan Carr is one of the five people in charge of America's top telecom watchdog. Yeah, this is concerning. I mean, look, given everything that we know right now about TikTok, now is not the time for any regulator or any country to be blessing TikTok's expansion into new business lines. What we need to be doing is closely scrutinizing their conduct to date and putting sufficient protections in place. So I wouldn't be in favor of blessing uh, expansion into new business lines right now. NTD reached out to TikTok for comment, but did not receive a reply before airtime. If the company gets a foothold in the shopping market, it'll be competing directly with giants like Meta, formerly known as Facebook, and Google-owned YouTube. 
A top Democrat says former President Trump was right about TikTok being a threat to national security. Senator Mark Warner is head of the Senate Intelligence Committee. During a visit to Australia, he said Donald Trump was right on TikTok years ago. Warner said, if your kids are on TikTok, China is able to have a lot of influence on them. And that's a bigger threat than any kind of armed conflict. TikTok is owned by Chinese company ByteDance. Trump tried to shut down the app in 2020 because of its ties to the Chinese Communist Party. But federal courts blocked his executive order. Now, Biden's team is doing its own review of TikTok to evaluate the threat. Over in Europe, One Nation is ordering the shutdown of a Chinese police station. Ireland has directed the Chinese embassy in the country to close a so-called Chinese police service center located in Dublin. In a recent report, human rights group Safeguard Defenders found that the Chinese Communist Party has opened dozens of similar outposts around the world. They're allegedly aimed at forcing Chinese dissidents to return to China. NTD reached out to the Irish Foreign Ministry for comment. It responded that Chinese authorities did not request permission from the Irish Department of Foreign Affairs before they established the police office, and that the ministry told the Chinese embassy to close the police office. The Chinese embassy told the Irish side that the office has ceased activities. Similar actions are happening in the Netherlands. There, the government is investigating Chinese police offices. A Chinese dissident living in the country said representatives from one police office pressured him to return to China. Here's more. What looks like a regular house in a residential street in Rotterdam, Netherlands, could in fact be a secret overseas Chinese police station on Dutch soil. The Dutch government said this week it's investigating whether the Chinese Communist Party has set up two such offices in the country. It follows a report by Spanish-based NGO Safeguarded Defenders that found that the Chinese regime has established dozens of such stations around the world. The point of such underground centers was for China's Communist Party to stifle criticism within expatriate communities. The Dutch foreign ministry said the Chinese regime never informed them about the offices which makes them illegal. Information about the outposts underscored concerns about how the Chinese Communist Party undermines democratic institutions and rule of law abroad. Wang Jingyu is a Chinese dissident living in the Netherlands. He said representatives from the office had sought to pressure him to return to China as part of a wider harassment campaign. A few months ago, a Dutch lumber called me. He said he's from Rotterdam, and uh, he's from Chinese overseas police service, like this. He wants me to come, and uh, he wants to talk to me. China's foreign ministry on Thursday rejected any suggestion of illegal activity. A new battleground between global powers, the Arctic. China is partnering with Russia to tackle the region and grow its footprint there, from ports and airfields to energy and natural resources. The U.S. and Canada are reacting. Here's more. Anessa Kimball, a professor at Laval University in Canada, is warning about China's ambition in the Arctic. She testified on Tuesday before the Canadian House Defense Committee about Beijing's ambitions. We've seen them try a few times over, uh, either by trying to purchase territory or mineral exploration interests in that region, or entering into agreements with uh, international companies. 
Kimball added that Beijing is expanding its Belt and Road Initiative to include the region. That's through a so-called Polar Silk Road project, designed to connect three economically critical areas, North America, Western Europe, and East Asia. China's move has set off alarms in both China and the U.S. Earlier this month, Canada's top military commander, General Wayne Eyre, warned that within the coming decades, the country will face increasing challenges in the Arctic from China and Russia. His solution? Modernize the North American Aerospace Defense Command and build an undersea surveillance network. The North American Aerospace Defense Command aims to defend North America, including both the U.S. and Canada, especially the two nations' critical infrastructure. To reach that goal, the Canadian government has pledged about $5 billion over the next six years. Over in the U.S., the Biden administration is also underscoring the growing competition with China and Russia in the region. That's in its National Strategy for the Arctic, released this month. And we'll continue to collaborate closely with Arctic allies and partners to uphold international law, rules, and standards in the region. The new strategy focuses on four key priorities, security, climate, economic development, and international cooperation. But it doesn't outline specific steps to be taken. The Arctic is home to more than 200,000 Canadians and more than 50,000 Americans. The Canadian Arctic covers 40% of Canada's territory. Other Arctic countries include Russia, Denmark, Finland, Iceland, Norway, and Sweden. China proclaims itself a near-Arctic state. It's thousands of miles away from the Arctic Circle. But Beijing has reasons for wanting a share of the region, largely due to its strategic importance and vast reserves of natural resources like oil, natural gas, rare earth metals, diamonds, and pristine fishing grounds. On top of that, trade routes in the region stay open longer during the year now than before, given the melting of the ice caps. That brings more commercial interests into play. The U.S. Navy is testing a new class of weapons. Nearly a dozen hypersonic weapon experiments were performed on Wednesday. Hypersonic missiles are capable of evading conventional defense systems and boast a long enough range to travel between continents. They're also capable of carrying nuclear warheads. Let's zoom in. The test was conducted from a NASA facility in Virginia and evaluated hypersonic weapon systems and advanced materials. Hypersonic glide vehicles are launched from a rocket in the upper atmosphere before gliding to a target at speeds of more than five times the speed of sound. That's over 3,800 miles per hour. Wednesday's test was intended to validate future aspects of the Navy's conventional prompt strike and the Army's long-range hypersonic weapon. Companies such as Lockheed Martin and Raytheon Technologies are working to develop U.S. hypersonic weapon capability. So this hypersonic weapon gives us the capability to get deep inland in some of the things that we need to do. And most importantly, for what we're doing in the Navy by putting it on a ship, and putting it on a submarine, it allows us to pretty much go anywhere in the ocean. So the threat is really against Russia and China, particularly, and it is really to get after some of the targets that they've got that over time they figured out how to defeat some of our other capabilities. So this starts to fill that gap. The Pentagon launched the prototypes using a sounding rocket. That's a rocket used for research that's smaller and more affordable. It's meant to fill a gap between ground testing and full system flight testing. Hypersonic weapons are among Washington's priorities as the U.S. competes with China for military dominance. The U.S. Senate released a new report on Thursday detailing the origins of the CCP virus which causes COVID-19. The report says there's considerable evidence pointing to the Wuhan Institute of Virology in China. 
The report says, quote, substantial evidence suggests that the COVID-19 pandemic was the result of a research-related incident associated with a laboratory in Wuhan, China. The report goes on to say that this explanation is consistent with how the virus spread during the pandemic's early stages. It says a natural origin remains possible, but notes that the original animal host hasn't been identified. Senate committee staff produced the report under the direction of Republican Senator Richard Byrd. They spent 15 months poring over hundreds of scientific studies and interviewed dozens of experts. The report was produced under the direction of Senator Richard Burr from the Health, Education, Labor and Pensions Committee. Burr said the Chinese Communist Party's lack of transparency prevents reaching a more definitive conclusion. Beijing says it's willing to strengthen cooperation with Moscow. The statement came Friday as tensions with the West continue to escalate. Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesperson Wang Wenbing called China and Russia each other's largest neighbor and comprehensive strategic partner. He also noted that relations between the two are maintaining a momentum of development. The comments come after Russian President Vladimir Putin said Thursday that Russia's relations with China were at an unprecedented level. Putin called Chinese leader Xi Jinping a close friend. Moscow and Beijing signed a no-limits partnership in February, just days before Russia launched its invasion of Ukraine. Russia has sought to forge closer political and economic ties with China in the face of Western sanctions. Military pilots from the West are training Chinese pilots. Retired Brigadier General David Stilwell and former Assistant Secretary of State is calling it a very serious problem. We sat down with him for details on what he learned from working in Beijing as a defense attache and more. So, General, to begin, Top Gun took the film world by storm, smashing a bunch of box office records without even entering the China market. But it seems China is going after the real deal. It's been poaching pilots from both Britain and America. So, to begin, how significant is this? Well, it's very significant. If you can learn how to beat us uh, by us teaching you our best tactics and techniques, what better way to catch up? I mean, from... From my time in Beijing working as the defense attaché, they had a lot of catching up to do. Uh, Their system just doesn't permit the sort of things that our system does, initiative, uh, delegating authority and all those things. And so if we have our own people teaching them how to accomplish these things, that's that's a very negative uh, outcome. But their controlled system uh, works very well uh, against our open and free uh, system in the information space like this, but also in our military training. Coming up, what has China brought to military cooperation between countries? And how are its actions playing out when it comes to the Taiwan issue? And this is where the U.S. and our allies and partners need to have a strong voice of deterrence to say, not today, don't try it today, you're not going to win. More from retired Brigadier General David Stilwell and former Assistant Secretary of State in just a minute here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Military training and drills between different countries is very common. But what is the difference when China is involved? And why are authoritarian countries falling behind in techniques and innovation? 
We hear more from David Stilwell, former Assistant Secretary of State, about his take. And so Britain actually issued a warning about this, that about 30 Royal Air Force pilots, former Royal Air Force pilots, were helping train Chinese pilots. And then the flying school involved was like, oh, no, there's no classified information. But whether or not it's classified, what exactly is Beijing trying to get here? Yeah, the classification excuse doesn't float. Classification deals mostly with intelligence uh, sources and methods and those things. Information can be unclassified and still be highly sensitive. And so... Uh, these guys know that there's prohibitions uh, of working with foreign governments and then in this you know, particular uh, instance, sharing our most sensitive information, classified or not, how we conduct these things, uh, how we exercise and, and execute our tactics uh, is still sensitive information, should not be shared. In general, how is this different from, say, often countries train with each other? What's different about this? The, the difference is that when we do train, it's done uh, under the purview of mill-to-mill cooperation. RIMPAC is a really good example. In 2011, the U.S. Uh, sold um, upgraded parts to, to Taiwan, as we usually do as part of our agreement. And the uh, PRC um, terminated our mill-to-mill relationship in September of 2011. And then in January of 2012, as we were getting ready for RIMPAC, which is one of those uh, exercises you're talking about, that's an officially sanctioned sharing of information, they had the gall to complain that they weren't allowed to come to RIMPAC in 2012 when they had canceled mill-to-mill relationships in 2011. And, and nobody in our government bothered to call them on that and make that point. So they scored a, another win saying, oh, yeah, the U.S. is treating us badly uh, instead of trying to bring us into the fold and cooperate. You hear that word cooperation from China all the time, and you and I know perfectly well that cooperation is one-sided in this regard. And that's the biggest problem with what you're seeing in this particular case is, you know, sometimes you can give to get, right? You share your stuff, and then you learn more about them in return. That's called reciprocity. There's never been reciprocity in these relationships. In general, you mentioned earlier how this isn't a new thing, right? So how does this tie into Beijing's bigger picture of poaching foreign talent? I just talked to somebody this week, and we were talking about innovation in authoritarian regimes versus friendly, you know, countries like our own. And he had a good um, framework. He called it absorptive innovation and generative innovation. We do generative innovation. As a captain, I was allowed to go out there with my four ship of aircraft create a tactic and then try it out and see if it worked. And if it didn't work, go back and figure out why. Um, but I was not restricted as to what I could do. And this is how we've developed so quickly uh, in these, these tactics. Uh, the PRC can't do that. Their system just doesn't allow people to go out there and innovate and try out new things, which means that they would fall further and further and further behind, except that we're now giving away the, you know, the, the store on this. So um, is it a... You know, people are going to say, oh, you're being racist on this. No, it's a cultural thing. It's not race. Living in an authoritarian system, you're not allowed to think freely. If you think too freely, you begin asking hard questions like, why is there only one party here? Why can't I speak freely? Why don't we have democracy? Why is Xi Jinping the, uh, going to get a, a life you know, term as the, the uh, chairman or the general secretary? These are all hard questions. They don't want their people asking these questions. And so, again, they prevent them uh, from doing what other what they want to do is innovate actually 
You know, on that note, part of Xi Jinping's speech earlier, especially when he, you know, the previous weekend, he really emphasized the Taiwan issue and that China's words reunifying with Taiwan, right, even though Communist China never ruled it. So with these fighter pilots and things, do you see an actual armed conflict looming on the horizon? The jury's out on that, and I'm sure there are arguments to the contrary, but I say I really don't see it. I don't sense strength and uh, hubris. I, I really sense weakness and fear in all of these statements. But they're talking about the period of strategic opportunity, right? This 20-year window where they're actually going to make hay. Uh, they've pretty much acknowledged that the period of strategic opportunity is over. And now the, the contest begins. And I just don't think they, they feel like they are in a position where they can uh, actually prevail in this contest. I think they're afraid as they watch skin markets as they watch their own economy, as they watch their demographic bomb go off, debt, all those things can't be looking very good if you're sitting in Beijing right now. And this is where the U.S. and our allies and partners need to have a strong voice of deterrence to say, not today, don't try it today, you're not going to win. On that note, what should the U.S. and European leaders' China vision or priorities be going forward? The problem we've had to date uh, was um, competing voices in Europe and other places, but Europe was the biggest problem uh, with One Belt, One Road, right? Italy joined One Belt, One Road. The pitch that the PRC was giving uh, was attractive, and as the economics complete, you know, start to fall apart, countries are worried about their relationship with China and the impacts of a, uh, you know, a more con- competitive market uh, relationship, what that's going to do to their own economies. And so we saw the UK after Brexit uh, were very worried about cutting their Huawei deal because they were afraid the PRC would damage their economy further. That, to me, has ended, though. I do think, uh, especially after this weekend, the Europeans are saying and doing the right things. Germany can't make up its mind, right, whether they want to keep their car sales in, in China or not. Um, but Ukraine and a bunch of other things have, have done more to solidify NATO and the EU. Look, between Japan, the EU, and, and the U.S., you've got 60% of the global GDP. We can drive this to a successful conclusion uh, if we cooperate. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.